welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. I have titled today's message, Be Not Unbelieving, But Believing. I'm not talking about Santa Claus, all right? You don't need to believe in him. Um, folks, we've arrived at another holiday season. It is a holy day season. Little has changed. Uh, people still want to substitute something for the truth about Christ. They'll substitute anything they can find, anything they can imagine uh, to change the narrative of Christmas. You know, recently on Facebook, a friend I know shared a photo you may have seen it as well, that had its image obscured by Facebook and censored to where you had to click a button to reveal that photo after acknowledging first that its contents would be graphic. And it's a true story, true story. And when I clicked the photo, it showed Santa bowed on one knee praying to the baby Jesus. They did the same with the same image back in 2018. You can, you can Google it or go to Snopes or whatever. And uh, Facebook eventually removed the warning as they did last time. Uh, but the experience reminds us how you can virtually believe in anything over Christmas, even Santa. Uh, but, but you may not pray and worship the one true king, or they will try to censor you. Um, Jesus himself declared in Matthew Chapter 7, verse 14, narrow is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So I'm not at all surprised, I I really am not, that a holiday season that Christians deem sacred, our culture will find offensive. Unbelievers are genuinely uh, and generally uh, not persuaded that Jesus is the reason for the season. They have another imaginary character or several other imaginary characters that they would rather believe in. Meanwhile, believers, Christians, we believe in our Savior's first advent, that is coming in a manger, being born of a virgin, and we eagerly await his second advent or his return to establish his kingdom reign on earth. And the Christmas that we offer is not a Christmas centered around stockings filled with toys, but news that the Father has forgiven us. As in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, Christ died once for all sins, the just for the unjust to bring us to God. So, just in case you are confused, the true meaning of Christmas is reconciliation to God, Reconciliation to God the Father through His one and only Son. For the Apostle Peter again writes, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by His wounds you are healed. Isaiah adds this, We like sheep have all gone astray. Each has turned to our own way. That turned could be implied we've, we've all gotten lost. Each has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. It's Isaiah 53, verse 6. At Christmas, we we celebrate our reconciliation 
to God the Father in heaven, uh, as displayed when the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 finally returns home to his father, and there the father declares, we must celebrate and rejoice, for he, the son, was dead and has begun to live. That which is lost has been found. Folks, in a word, that's us. The father is celebrating that we have been found, and we are celebrating that we're no longer lost. Isn't it just wonderful? Just wonderful at Christmas. We were lost prodigals, but now we have received the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. We are not unbelieving, but we are believing. This this good news, this gospel announced in the closing chapters of Luke that we have been studying continues now for three more weeks. We have three more weeks. Don't, Don't worry, there is much more good news to come after that. But we have only got three, we only have three paragraphs left in Luke's gospel until we finish. And today, the resurrected Christ appears to the group of disciples. All together, the group, for the first time. Uh, Next week, Christmas Sunday, by the way, he will deliver to these same disciples the great commission to go into all the world and make disciples. What better Christmas message could there be than to go in and make disciples of God's Son? And then the last Sunday of December, uh, it just works out that uh, Jesus ascends to the right hand of God where he rules over his church as we eagerly prepare for his return. Uh, we, We have a high calling from God, folks. We have a high calling from God, the same calling that these apostles inherited We must first believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead, from the grave, having defeated sin and death. Then we are to go into the world, all the world proclaiming the gospel. We make disciples, and therefore we we call for them to join us in worshiping the resurrected Christ who has ascended to the Father on high, His heavenly throne. So this high calling that we have, we, we don't want to squander it. We do not want to squander uh, these next three weeks and these three messages and what God has called us to do. Folks, invite people to church next Sunday. We have a wonderful church. Invite other people the next Sunday if they don't come. Invite more if some come and they never come back. Because the way is narrow. We don't expect everyone will receive Christ as Savior, but we've got a message to proclaim to them. We have much hope and joy to share in this church. And then coming in 2021, in January, again, a a very very wonderful um, transition to invite people to. We will begin the book of Ecclesiastes. There, King Solomon, as as we understand, will provide answers. He will provide answers to life's most troubling questions, especially the one is like, how do we make sense? How do we find joy and happiness and fulfillment in a world that appears like it is so meaningless from day to day. Ecclesiastes is going to answer that for us. But today, today we remain in Luke. We're in Luke chapter 24, if you want to turn your Bibles there. We're picking up where we left off previously in verse 36. See, you should remember, this, this is still the day that Christ was raised that we are looking at in Luke. Christ has thus far 
appeared to Mary Magdalene earlier in the day. Peter, we understand from another gospel. And he has just revealed himself, as we studied the last time, to two people who were in the town of Emmaus. He met them on the road and then revealed them, himself to them when they had arrived in Emmaus. The, the, what we assume are two men, though the second one is never fully described, they become so thrilled... They are so thrilled they hastily return to Jerusalem and they announce to the eleven, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. So now including Mary and Peter, we have two further witnesses. Scripture identifies four eyewitnesses at this point. And what reaction do you think these two eyewitnesses that have come in from Emmaus, what reaction do you think they're going to get? Well, they find the disciples are doubters. They're doubters. In fact, worse than just being skeptics, the disciples are seen as conveying back a hard-hearted disbelief. Before I read our primary passage beginning in Luke chapter 24, just listen to this parallel account that is recorded in Mark 16. This is what we were told Mark writes. Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene, After that, he appeared to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. Then they went away and reported it to the others, the scene we're at now, but they did not believe them either. Afterward, Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they had not believed, this is why, because they had not believed those who had seen Jesus after he had risen. They didn't believe the witnesses. So according to Mark, Jesus had to reproach his band of disciples for their hardness of heart and their refusal to believe the testimony that was just given them, the eyewitness testimony that was handed to them, spoken to them earlier in the day. Uh, Now look at Luke chapter 24, where the two witnesses from Emmaus are presently in the act of testifying to the eleven. It says, while they were telling these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? (laughs) They gave him a piece of a broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. What a scene. What an amazing scene. Remarkable. So the accounts written in Luke and Mark validate one another. And they both indicate a hardness of disbelief among the eleven that earns them a, a stern rebuke from Jesus. One detail that we discovered 
during our scripture reading from the Gospel of John, uh, reveals the fact that Thomas wasn't yet present with the eleven. Jesus appeared to the group, that's why it's described as the eleven, and and Luke himself doesn't go into detail about Thomas's ordeal, so to assure the reader in Luke that, that Jesus appeared to all of them, not just a portion of them, he refers to them, the group, as an eleven. But Thomas wasn't present this first time Jesus appears. Thomas probably returned later on that same evening, for some reason or with something, after Jesus had departed. Uh, I find this incredibly fascinating. Incredibly fascinating. John 20 verse 24 says this. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to Thomas, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. (laughs) And and due to this response, for nearly 2,000 years now, due to this response, uh, the one known as Didymus, we call him Thomas, is memorialized with a title of disdain. Go ahead and say it. Doubting Thomas, Thomas, right? (laughs) But after reading... Mark and Luke, answer me this. Why do we single out just Thomas? Scripture says in Luke 24, they all doubted in their hearts. In fact, in verse 39, Jesus entices them all by saying, See my hands and feet, get this, Touch me and see, he told the eleven. Did those disciples then touch him? Oh, I assure you they did. Because the Apostle John says concerning Jesus, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, and what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands... We testify and proclaim to you. So at his first appearance, at Jesus' first appearance, they all saw his hands and his feet. And due to their their just lingering unbelief, Jesus invited them all to come and touch him. The only difference with Thomas is he wasn't there. He wasn't there. So so when he arrived later at whatever point that was, I'm confident the others were maybe boasting a little bit and saying something like, we saw him, we saw the marks from the nails. He showed us his side, Thomas. Thomas, we touched him. He's alive. Thomas probably replied something like we would. No! No, you all are playing a prank on me. We all did this back in high school, right? You got the group and one comes back? No! How could it be that it's only after I'm gone, I'm the only one not here, 
And then he comes and appears to all of you. And went, no, I'm not buying this. And then his famous statement, recorded in John 20, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and unless I put my finger into the place of the nails, and unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. But Thomas is no greater doubter than the others. He merely wanted the same opportunity the rest had already been granted to see and to touch the risen Lord Jesus. Then Scripture says after eight days, the way Jews calculated time, usually including the day they were in, probably implies it was a week later, the following Sunday, uh, Jesus appeared again. And he granted Thomas's request. And Thomas eventually then received the same opportunity that all of the others were already granted. And he received the same rebuke as the others who had not believed. Be not unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who believed, yet have not seen. And all of his disciples, every single one of them, refused to accept the verbal testimony of others. The rebuke, given to all of them was the same. The band of disciples themselves would not believe the two witnesses that came from Emmaus who had seen him. Likewise, Tom did not, Thomas did not believe the testimony of the entire group who had seen him. So make no mistake, they were all initially doubters until they had seen and had the opportunity to touch the risen Christ. So in my opinion, you know, Thomas is vindicated. He's vindicated. He just wanted the same thing that everybody else had, and he's sadly been drugged through the mud uh, separately through all of these ages. Uh, the physical nature of Christ's resurrection, boy, we have treated that previously at length. I'm not going to go into great detail on that uh, or a lot of time, but we do need to touch on it a little. We know his physical body was gone missing from the tomb. The body itself was raised. It was absent from the tomb. Jesus walked and he talked and he ate with the men in Emmaus. He appeared to the disciples. Uh, He was touched by the apostles. This was a bodily resurrection. A physical, a literal physical resurrection. And as we've studied on Wednesday evenings in the previous weeks, 1 Corinthians 15 reveals how Christ was the first. He was only the first to be raised, ensuring each and every one of us that we too are going to be raised physically as he was. We're going to be raised at the return of Christ. The the physical reality of our resurrected bodies, all of the saved going to heavenly glory and all of the damned into eternal torment, it's undeniable in Scripture. Matthew 25, verse 31 assures us this. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, 
Then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and there he will separate the sheep from the goats. All will be before him, both sheep and goats. But until now, the disciples had not fully understood the physical reality, the physicality of the resurrection experience. So when they first saw him, they thought, well, maybe this is a spirit, an apparition of some kind, some, something that is visible but not material. That's, that's a common error in our culture today, uh, whether it is the movie Beetlejuice or whether it's about Demi Moore and what's the other guy's name? Ghost? Patrick Swayze, or whatever else it is uh, that, well, well, it's Christmas time, so we might as well throw in Jacob Marley, right? Well, Scrooge's ex-partner comes as as a ghost. People readily accept human transitions into ghosts. That's error. That is just error. Uh, Christians know from the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, that our destiny after death, it's final. It is final. The rich man could not return to warn his living brothers to believe. Uh, uh, He was in Hades in hell. He could not leave. Uh, Neither could uh, Lazarus. Abraham was not sending him back. He actually said that they have the, the... prophets and Moses, let them believe the Scriptures. Let them believe the Scriptures. Because if they won't believe the Scriptures, neither of they will believe even if someone comes back from the dead. So it's full circle. Jesus is raised from the dead. And yet they still need to accept the Scriptures. That will come in the next couple verses again to fully accept everything about Christ. We must believe the Scriptures. Um, we, we, we find all of our answers to faith and practice in the Bible. In the Bible. Dead relatives, they, they can't return to loiter in our attic or hang out or visit us through a medium of some kind. Folks, that, that is all Hollywood. That is all That has been made up on video over and over. Uh, there are, however, fallen angels, demons, who are disembodied spirits, you know, the disciples had run into them multiple times over the last three years. Uh, demons, demon possession. So they didn't immediately know what they were dealing with. Well, was this something like we've dealt with before? What, what is this? Is this truly a spirit with a body? Or is it like we've seen before, a spirit that even goes from body to body in some occasions? So Jesus reassures them, notice, you know, a spirit does not have bone and flesh as do I. Notice this is different than what you had seen uh, previously. This appearance is to assure them and and us that the resurrection from the dead uh, for everybody is going to be very, very real. Very real. Jesus even takes something from them to eat. And the experience of Christians in the kingdom of God, the the little, literal reign of Christ on earth is going to be a very physical experience. Very physical experience of pleasure. The experience of the damned in hell is going to be a very physical experience of agony. Where Jesus says their worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. 
There will be eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, be not unbelieving, but believing. Accept that Christ is raised. His resurrection assures there exists today, there is today, an open door of reconciliation to God. An open door for everyone here, everyone listening. And in fact, in verse 36, the first words that he says to his disciples are, Peace to you. Jesus is offering peace to them as he offers to everyone here today. The president of Wheaton College at Philip Riken comments further on this offer of peace by saying this, quote from him. Now Jesus was giving them peace again. Only this time he was doing it from the other side of the grave. And everything really was right in the world. There was peace for Jesus because all of his earthly sufferings were over. There was peace for his disciples too. They had peace from their sorrow and grief because Jesus was not dead after all. They also had peace with God because all their sins were forgiven through the cross where Jesus died. At the beginning of Luke's gospel, Zechariah the priest prophesied that Jesus would guide our feet into the way of peace. And the Christmas angels promised that he would bring peace on earth and we know goodwill to all men. Now Jesus was preaching the peace, says Riken, that would give all his disciples fellowship with God the Father. The end quote. That is what is offered to us today. Fellowship and reconciliation to God the Father. Folks, would you, would you like to receive the same reconciliation that so many of us here have already received? Reconciliation to God. Here's the command. Then be not unbelieving. Be believing. Be believing. With these who are as true, or who are truly his disciples, as are we, Jesus is not portrayed here as being angry with his disciples, or, or even because they've expressed doubts in their hearts. That's not how Jesus is being betrayed, uh, portrayed. Being God, he knows the thoughts in their hearts. He knows the thoughts in each of our hearts. He knows what you're thinking today. He knows your heart better than anyone. He knows there are doubts amongst us. What does Jesus do? The passage, what does Jesus do when they have doubts? Does he tell them, scram, run along, get out, kick him to the curb? It's not what I see. What I see is Jesus entered, even though he knew they had doubts, he entered through a door. A door that had been shuttered for the night already, by the way. Don't know how that happened. The night they had shuttered and locked, Jesus entered through a door for the doubters. He doesn't withdraw from them over their doubts. Instead, he draws them near to him and offers them reassurance and further evidence that his resurrection is real. Then he does the identical thing about a week later with Thomas. 
In John 20, we again read that the doors were shut, just as in the previous week. But Jesus stood again in their midst a second time, saying, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger. See my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas responded, As you must today. My Lord and my God. That is the testimony of Holy Scripture and of the Holy Spirit. Does that describe your thoughts today? Only you can answer that. Is that what is in your heart? Have you held doubts about Jesus in your heart? Have you lived a life that's lukewarm toward Him? Really not hot, really not cold, indifferent. But today, does your heart now need Jesus? Do you need Him? There was an affluent church in Laodicea. Pretty well-to-do, had many, many interesting and profitable uh, industries there. They had believed... They had come to believe they didn't need anything. They're doing good. They're characterized as saying in Revelation verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, they're characterized as saying, you know, I'm rich, and I've become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. At Christmas time, they, they had the whole room filled with gifts under the tree. They had everything that they needed, all bills were paid. I bet their 401ks had hit new records. They're thinking, I got everything I need. I'm covered. But the Son of God told the Apostle John to write to them, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Their self-reliance had become a detriment to them. Their lukewarm relationship had been exposed in them. They were lukewarm. And he who is called faithful and true announces this, I can perceive in your heart that even with all you have, you're still miserable and empty. Why are you miserable and empty? Well, Because you doubt. Because you doubt. So Jesus offered this advice. Come. Buy from me gold refined by fire. That means true riches that are pure, that are undefiled. True wealth. And he says, you will receive white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed you know, Christ assures that all of your sin, your lewdness, your nudity, your immorality, your, Im, your immoral acts, He assures they can all be covered. All of them can be covered. He says, I will clothe you myself with pure white garments. He, he will cover you. Cover every sin, all of your nakedness, This is the beautiful part, so that it will never be revealed. 
so that you've never been, it will never be revealed. Psalm 103, verse 12. For as far as the east is from the west, I will remove your transgressions far from you. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. Then there's one more statement made to that church. It says, And there will be eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Well, Gerald, you could use some eye salve, couldn't you? Got some thick. Yeah. Poor guy. Hope you're doing better soon. I didn't want to poke on you with that, but I had to. I had to. He offers eye salve that you might see. For the men on the road to Emmaus, Scripture says that they opened, Jesus opened their eyes to understand the Scripture and thereby recognize Him. And folks, this is the promise that Jesus gave to all, all those who had been lukewarm, that they might see. I'm convinced these were nominal Christians just sitting in a church, lukewarm, a lot of debate over that. I think they're unbelievers who had been sitting in a little church for so long. And Jesus is saying to them, are you ready now to receive God's promise this Christmas? This Christmas. Behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him, and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. And I also overcame, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Folks, do you hear what the Spirit says to the churches? Be not unbelieving, but be believing. There's a lot, lot of ink that has been spilt over the years in commentaries over, over this church in Laodicea, trying to address exactly what is going on here. You know, is Jesus speaking primarily to the corporate body as a group? You know, let me into this church. Why then does he say, if anyone hears my voice, if anyone hears my voice, I will come in. So, it, it is not ultimately the knock of the door, but the voice that you hear. Do you hear it? If anyone hears my voice, I will come in. And the term, if anyone there, or anyone, it's written in the, the Greek indefinite pronoun in the third person singular. Do you know what that means? Me either. But I read several commentaries of scholars and have written from what they have concluded. This is what I have come to find it means. If you hear this today, if you can hear these words, I'm talking to you. I'm coming in to you. 
if you will hear my voice today. Um, you know, people, people always argue over who opens the door. Is it, you know, folks, this is revelation. It's apocalyptic symbolism. A lot of symbolism here. The narratives we just read in Luke and in John uh, prove to us that Jesus doesn't have any problem with doors. He's fine with doors. He can navigate them, no problem. Well, here's what Luke 24 wants us to know. Christ the Lord has been raised. You don't need to personally see Him or demand to see Him. All you need to do is hear His voice and believe. That's the whole point of this passage is that the disciples had heard heard that others had seen him and touched him, but they weren't willing to believe what they had been told. And we're told that we must listen as Thomas was told. You believe because of what you've seen? Blessed are they who believed yet have not seen. That's everyone who came after the apostolic era. All of us. That's us. And now we've received Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. We go out and we tell others And we will see that that is, by the way, Jesus' next command to them in the next passage for next week. Gives them the great commission. And since people seem to have a little struggle believing in a verbal testimony without having first seen and touched him themselves, what do you think that Jesus might send to his church, promise to send to his church at Pentecost that's going to help prime the pump a little bit? The Holy Spirit is promised in our next passage. In verse 49, Jesus is going to tell them to wait to become witnesses until they are clothed with power from on high. People aren't going to believe their message until the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost. Uh, Folks, you have a better chance of convincing people to believe in Santa Claus without the Holy Spirit. They'll they'll accept some imaginary character uh, unbelievers are, are quick to, to embrace the, para, the paranormal. But for sinners to believe that God sent His Son to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross for our sins and then be raised from the dead, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been given. He has been risen. We don't need an opportunity to see and touch Him. We don't need that. We need to believe. Uh, what we need is a little help from the Holy Spirit. And we must, we must also accept how we are so entirely dependent on the Holy Spirit. So entirely dependent for people to believe. In John 16, Jesus tells his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I pray that is you, if you have not received Christ as Savior, that you have been convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment, and that he has been raised from the dead. Praise God we have the Holy Spirit this Christmas. People ever ask you, is this a spirit-filled church?